0: It's from Deuteronomy 15, we're reading verses 1 to 11. Under the heading, the year of cancelling debts. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel the loan he has made to his fellow Israelite. He shall not require payment from his fellow Israelite or brother, because the Lord's time for cancelling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your brother owes you. However, there should be no poor among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I am giving you today. But the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, And you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. Rather be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for counseling debts, is near so that you do not show ill will towards your needy brother and give him nothing. He may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to him, and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore I command you to be open-handed towards your brothers and towards the poor and needy in your land." This is his word. Amen.
1: Morning, everyone. Let's pray. Uh, Gracious Father, we pray that you'd be with us as we look at your word. Help us to understand. Help us to be encouraged. Help us to be strengthened. Help us to be challenged. Help us to be uh, getting a better picture of how you want us to be. And please keep me from error, we would pray. In Jesus name, amen. Uh, we're uh three or four weeks I can't remember now into Deuteronomy, and we're going across it quite quickly and noticing themes and trying to hang it all together. So far, we've seen that Moses, this is a farewell speech, and you remember that. You remember that this audience is new, and so it is is not the, the second time the law is coming or the second law, which frankly does come from what Deuteronomy means. But anyway, it's actually a realisation of this positive instruction for how these people who haven't really heard this before in this way how it's for them and how they're to live in this place they're going to, the promised land. Because the promised land is God's solution here to reestablishing what was lost at the Garden of Eden. There's a special relationship where God will be their God and they will be his people. They will be in his place where he provides and cares for them. It's a picture, and this is what he's saying to them. You need these things as you go forward. And they are to love the Lord your God with all your hearts, as Deuteronomy 6 and all your soul with all your strength. Jesus will repeat those words in the Gospels. Deuteronomy chapter 12. Which tells us where we're going. And so we're going from twelve to twenty-six, but we'll only just be doing a few things and hanging this all together. There to worship, but have a purity. That's our first point: a purity of worship. We'll follow that up with the purity of kingship, the purity of the prophet, and the purity in our care, particularly of the poor. There to worship. We're told in Deuteronomy chapter 12, firstly, a purity of worship comes from being what God tells them what to do. we uh, I don't know if you've realized, but we actually try to do the things here, even here, what God says should be in it. Now, I'm pretty sure Kristen ran through a list of what was, what do we have listed at church? We did a... we had a list there. We did four songs. <laughs> All right, well, the four songs is not really. But, you know, singing hymns and some spiritual songs. We had a Bible. We read the Bible together. We we explain it. And we pray. So do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of but Encourage one another. So we're encouraging one another. You do what God asks you to do. Here in the Pentateuch, the key comes in chapter 12, verse 5. Chapter 12, verse 5. You are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. Here God is saying, do not worship anywhere you like. You'll say that in verse 8. You're not to do as you do here today. Everyone doing as they see fit. Rather, instead, they are to worship where God tells them to do so. If you look at verse 4, you'll see that nations around them sacrifice on high places. God has actually met them in that accommodation. Where is Mount Sinai? Is that high? Anyone been to Mount Sinai? I don't even know where it is. It's a mountain, and by definition, mountains are high. So God appeared to Moses on the mountain, often Mountains were seen as places where God would be worshipped. Here, the God is saying, make sure you do what I say to do, not like everyone else, doing their own thing, going over to that hill or that hill or the hill nearby and doing their things, offering to any gods they like. Verse 13 and 14. Be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please. Offer them only at the place the Lord will choose. Be careful is a phrase, and it encourages them to watch themselves because Moses' real concern, looking at their history of this people, is that they would wander. They'll do their own thing as they see fit, and they will worship the gods, which is part of the culture of the day. All of life is full of God stuff. It's hard for us to understand, but life is full of What you, when you get up in the morning, where you prepare lunch, where you get food, how you live is God stuff. So they are used to the culture of doing as they see fit when they need. God is saying, don't be like that. That will be a snare for you. It will mean that you take up other gods, other idols. Don't do it. Obey me. There is one place to worship. That's its pure worship. And it ties in with verse 2 of chapter 14. You are a people, holy to the Lord your God. He's saying you are God's. That's the covenant you've made, and God asks you to be faithful to him. You can't just do as you like. You actually belong to someone else. Now, I've just said a sentence, you belong to God, is not a comfortable sentence to say, you belong. I doubt you feel very comfortable about that. I think that's at the heart, I think if you go back to Genesis, that God made us, we are his, and yet we didn't want to be his. We wanted to be ourselves. We wanted to do as we see fit. Moses is trying to make sure that they don't do that, that they realize they are God's and he will look after them if they devote themselves to him, if they have a purity of worship, this this people who are special to God and the purity are entwined. It's a uniqueness. They're to avoid being like everyone else, worshipping anywhere they like, worshipping any God they like. They're to be faithful to him alone. Purity of worship purity secondly of the king we're jumping to chapter 17 here verses 14 to 20. I don't know about you but I always think uh, kingship is something that comes later I forget this but here it is in Deuteronomy and it's actually anticipated earlier in the first five books of the Bible first five books are written by Moses so we think and it says in Genesis chapter 17, verse 16, and he's speaking of Sarah, God says, I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. There's the king. Chapter 49, verses 9 to 12, but particular verse 10. Chapter 49 of Genesis, chapter, verse 10. The scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he whom it it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. What's that saying is God will provide a king from the tribe of Judah. Kingship is not something that comes along later. It's here. And Deuteronomy 17 tells what that king should be like, and it's an ideal picture. He is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God. Most kings from all around were all around them, and kingship is a key thing in the Near East, ancient Near East. You can see all the different kings, they usually had little kingdoms, little cities, something like that. Sometimes they would grow, sometimes they'd go over and bash that guy and get a bigger one, or that guy would go over there and bash them, or he'd come over here and and join for a barbecue, and then he'd bash him and take his stuff. It's a complicated history, a violent history, but all of them, most of them, all of them, most of them, most kings were illiterate. It's actually staggering here that their king not only reads, but he copies and makes sure that he studies this law daily. It's an idyllic picture, a picture that's very different. It's a picture that recognises the king understands that he's under the real king, whom is God himself. David will fit this picture, so will Solomon. They will fit this picture as people who are actually knowing God's word and speaking it and seeking it. But notice Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17. It anticipates that a king should not take many wives. Now, I heard a story about uh, a, a boy coming home from church, and he was talking about telling his mother quite enthusiastically that Solomon had 300 porcupines. And that's uh, an interesting, interesting detail that he had. 300 porcupines. Unfortunately, from 1 Kings 11, Solomon is said to have had 700 wives, 300 concubines. That's where the porcupines come from, concubines. It's a thing that will lead him astray. It brings him down and it's anticipated here that it would happen or that that sort of danger is present. Why? Because, again, the culture of the king is to do as he sees fit and to take and to gather and to get. Don't be like them. Be a king who is pure. A king will rule purely in God's way because he is king. God is king. Later in 1 Samuel chapter 8, when the people have asked for a king, God will say in verse 7 of chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, it is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. The purity of kingship was to make sure that God himself would be kept king. Thirdly, the pure purity of the prophet from deuteronomy chapter 18 verses 15 to 22 in genesis chapter 20 abraham is called the prophet and prophets exist in the pentateuch and are talked about at sinai israel requested moses to go and talk to god because we its too scary we don't want to talk to him you relay God's word to us so Moses becomes a prophet I don't know if you've got a Bible there but if you turn up to the middle there you'll find from Isaiah to Malachi that all these funny names in between are all prophets the prophet is a mouthpiece for God's word he is to speak God's word and that's a very important thing and so there's a test to make sure those people who say they are, are. Chapter 18, verse 22. The test is simple. Their words must come true. That's how you know his purity. What he says comes true. That means the prophet's part of his job is for to some way foretell the future, but that's not the initial real defining thing of a prophet. A prophet is someone who speaks God's word as God delivers it. This passage has always referred to, always been taken to refer to as one prophet, the prophet to come. Not a series of prophets, not the ones that were talked about from as the Bible as we read and looked in there and found, but of the one to come. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter. 34, verse 10, if you like, when the writer writes, Since Moses, no prophet has risen in Israel like him, whom the Lord knew face to face. Peter will use that passage later on in Acts chapter 3, verse 22. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. And he will do that as he speaks and points to Jesus. Lastly, the purity of our care and the poor. The land, would you believe that the land every seven years was left alone? Let that sink in, unused. Now, Uh, Let's just imagine we close Meyer every seven years. Uh, Why pick on Meyer. Close Westfield every seven years. It's really hard to get this in. It feels insane that a farmer would not farm his land every seven years. Why? Because God asked them to do that. It's part of their Sabbath year. The landowner, it says in chapter fifteen, verses one eight, is to leave his land unused. And because of that, debts are postponed. The landowner doesn't have any money because he's not farming the land to pay his debts, so debts are postponed. It says in the NIV, I think as we you could read it in chapter fifteen, it says cancelled. I don't think that's right sorry uh, as you know i'm a, a as you know i'm a great hebrew scholar so uh, i can barely speak english this debt i think was postponed for a year which seems to be more the meaning of the word it was postponed because it needed to be because they were to provide for the poor the law exists for for taking care of the poor. But Moses actually makes a point here in verses 4 to 5. He says there would be no poor if we obeyed the law in verses 4 to 5 of chapter 15. But knowing what our world is like and what we are like, those laws exist. Where impurity has snuck in. Impure because it's about us, it's about people. In a perfect world, in perfect promised land, there would be no poor, but there is. And so he says amongst you, you must care for them. It's a realisation in verses 7 to 11 that there will be always people who need help. Verse seven, eight: If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites, your God is giving. Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted; rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. They're to give generously. Why are they doing this? Well, every seven years. You might be tempted if they sort of come and ask you and need your help in the sixth year to say, oh, my goodness, I'm not going to get any money for two years. I'm not going to lend anything to them. The law says, Moses says, God says, take care of those who are poor amongst you. Jesus will say, of course, you will always have the poor. Why would he say that? It's because human hearts are what human hearts are. In our poverty, God sent the Lord Jesus. We are poor because of our inability to care for each other and to disobey God. God has been long-suffering and generous and his response to our rebellion, to the way that our selfishness and to our sin is that he is compassionate and merciful. As we know, if we keep reading, Israel rebels, it fails, and they get expelled, exiled, as we've been warned would happen. God's response to that rebellion, to our continuous poverty and inability to be God's people, he sent Jesus, the one who is the pure prophet to come, the one who is the pure priest, we might add, who offers himself as the pure sacrifice for all. He is the one who has become that king, the pure king and ruler of all, and in purity He gave himself that we might come to him and worship him in purity, in spirit, and in truth. Jesus becomes the place of faith, the object of our faith, the Lord of our faith. In him, we are God's people, in God's place, under God's rule. Jesus' pure life was lived for us when we couldn't, when the history of Israel shows they couldn't. It's humankind. Jesus smashed death and sin that trapped us and holds us. Instead, he set us free in him. Romans 13 says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. This new life that God has given us is a fulfillment of all that was looked at and hoped for in the first five books, in Deuteronomy in particular. But our failings, their failings, which are our failings in purity, our poverty before our God, is not a sentence but an opportunity for God's grace and mercy to prevail. He will not be defeated. God will establish his people in his place, under his rule, in his care. And he has done that in Jesus. We're reminded that while we are here, we fall far short of what we should be. We receive forgiveness when we ask, we repent, and we go. We're also reminded to care for one another, particularly the poor, the poor amongst ourselves and in our society. Certainly there wouldn't be many at the moment, many pensioners who do not need help, if not weekly, monthly, with bills, with all food with registrations etc cetera, etc cetera. our society in all its poverty cannot care for each other we must care for those we are brought amongst us in jesus name let's pray lord we've been reminded of your great Generosity to us in Jesus. We rejoice in your truth that uh, while we ourselves are all over the place, we are impoverished, you are rich and have blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Jesus. When we couldn't come to you, you came to us. When we couldn't do what we asked us to do, you did in Jesus. We realize that in you is life, and we can have it to the full because you have given it to us. We realize under this, in this world things are not what they should be. Nothing has changed. The Bible is true, and that people's hearts are wrong, and they don't care, and we do, and our world is broken. Father, we pray that you would help us to live in purity as we worship you and follow you. Help us as we care for one another, as you have cared for us. Please give us generous hearts. May we be open-handed and generous. May we not be tight-fisted and uh, greedy. Lord God. We ask, Father, that in your generosity you would open in us a real sense of worship to our glory of your own son, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.